0: dust and breath. We are limited and We are human. We are holy. we part of a bigger story. We Welcome to This Good Word, where every week we look at one single word in an endless discovery of reclaiming what's holy about our humanity. My name is Steve Weens. I'm a pastor, I'm a writer, and I'm a father of three crazy boys. My hope with this podcast is to create an environment where you can continually discover who you actually are in the world. So feel free to check out my website at steveweens.com, S T E V E W I E N S.com, where you can find links to my blog to purchase my book, which is called Beginnings, The First Seven Days of the Rest of Your Life, and also links to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. Well, hey there, everybody. Episode 52 of This Good Word. Today's word is Church with Tim Sorens. And I don't know what the word church does for you. Maybe it makes you want to run and hide. Maybe it makes you roll your eyes. Maybe it makes you think of a time in your life when it was dead, when you were dead and filled with a kind of dread. Uh, Maybe it elicits all kinds of hope for you. Maybe when you think of church and picture church, you have in your mind a collection of people that really, really helped you to become who you are in the world, and to become who God made you to be. Whatever it is, I think the church is something that's worthy of talking about. Uh, And I have a personal belief that because the world is changing, because the world will continue to change and we keep changing, that the structure, the fundamental structure of the church needs to keep changing and keep reinventing itself. And so I am always on the lookout for people that are thinking on the imaginative edge of what the church could be and can be in the world. I define church as that collection of people across space and time that join God in God's work of making all things new. That's what the church is and has always been and always will be. And so Tim Sorens is one of those people, for me, who brings an imaginative, hopeful, narrative to the church. And he wrote a book called The New Parish, which explains the paradigm of what he's seeing in the world in little neighborhoods and groups of people who are trying to bring peace and wholeness and life to the world um, because of the redemptive work and power of Jesus in the world. And so enjoy this conversation I think you're going to love it no matter where you are with church. If you don't go to church, I think this will be instructive. I think it'll be hopeful. If you do go to church, I think it'll be instructive and hopeful. So enjoy this conversation with Tim Sorens. And uh, I, I know I did, so I hope you will. Peace, everybody. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to This Good Word. I'm here with Tim Sorens. Hi, Tim hi Steve man we have been working hard to get you on this good word and I can't I just I love it because um, I planted a church about two years ago and before I did uh, your book was one of the book that one of the books that I read and I, I was so captivated by it and we're most a lot of us in the church world are in this conversation about what is what is the church now how are we uh, the kingdom of god in the world what does that look like now and what is it what will it look like in the future and i feel like the new parish is just one of these beautiful laboratories you know the parish collective is an expansive and uh crowdsource sort of open source experiment on what the church could be so i can't wait to have this conversation
1: oh me too that's very kind
0: uh, and you do a lot of things, Tim. You're the director of the Parish Collective. You've written this really beautiful book called "The New Parish" with Paul Sparks and Dwight Friesen. Uh You uh, right now you're talking to me from the offices of. Um, tell me where. <laughs> tell me where you're at again. I'm currently at in the offices of the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Yes, and um, so. So let's dive right in. My first question, Tim, is talk us through sort of the theology of place, which I know is just so near and dear to the heart of what you guys do, because I think many people um, aren't even aware of what that is.
1: Well, uh, a way to think about the theology of place is that all of our theology is placed It happens in real time with real people, and those environments, those contexts are always changing. And so one way to think about a theology of place is actually not so much to say it's a theology of place like a theology of liberation or a theology of creation. One way I like to think about it is that all of our theology always has been, is, and always will be placed. Yes. And so when we start to talk about theology from whatever perspective people are coming from, what place does or our everyday practice in place is it puts up a mirror to our lived theology. Yes. So it's one thing to, you know, think about different doctrines and how uh, we might kind of parse them based on our own narratives and our own understanding. But one thing that really excites me and actually is I think actually quite subversive in our polarized day is that it's, it's lived theology, and it's the most particular thing in the world. So it's not just a theology of the incarnation. It's, it's a, we're trying to figure out how do we become local theologians
0: in our everyday lives, in the places where we live, and, uh, and all that. Yeah, That's beautiful. Um, so this last Sunday, uh, the kids and Mary and I were hanging out. Uh, We were about to go for a bike ride, and then we got a phone call from our next-door neighbor who has a pool, (laughs) which is so awesome because we don't – and we also love our next-door neighbors. They're great. They're this family of four. And so – but we got a phone call from – a a text actually from Brenda, uh, who is the mom, and she's like, I would love it if you and your kids would come over because my kids don't want to swim with me, don't want to play with me, right? So we're like, yes, of course, because our kids love swimming. And so we all got in there, and – and so the kids got in the pool and then Mary and I sat with Brenda and she was just really like, thank you so much for coming over because I just really needed someone to be with. And so we had this really cool conversation about marriage, about a busyness, about life with young kids. And it felt like because we were right next door, the ask was easy, the answer was easy. And then we just fell into this really beautiful conversation, um, and they're not—I mean, they are very loosely affiliated with the church, but they don't really—you know—they don't—they don't really think God think church. And so um, it was, and I was thinking about this conversation that we were going to have, and so dissect that, right? I mean, this is this, this little experience that we had—not a big deal—but Mary and I both went ho- went home later on that day, and when the kids were in bed, we were like that was, that felt really significant. It felt really significant because it was clear that she needed to talk to someone, but doesn't really have anyone to talk to, knows that we're good, you know, pastors and blah, blah, blah. And she opened up and it was beautiful.
1: You know what I love about that, Steve? There's lots of things maybe to talk about with that even small little story, but for good reason, a lot of us are talking more and more about hospitality, yeah, which is crucial and a, a virtue that the church has always had. I think that, especially frankly, for pastoral leaders, yeah, the challenge of receiving hospitality Ooh. is all the more powerful. Uh, I think it's it's a it's a signpost that we might be doing something well when it's one thing to invite folks into our home, to our tables, into our spaces. That's necessary, it's, it's important. But when we get invited into other people's spaces, then, I mean, that's when the magic happens. Yeah. I mean, so, of course you talked about your life. Of course marriage came up. Of co- and then, instead of this being kind of an isolated thing, um, now you've weaved together your stories in a really powerful way that's, that's ongoing. So uh, it's fantastic. Love it.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And it does feel, uh, it felt natural. It feels, and I totally agree with you, especially for those of us who are, you know, we sort of do hospitality for a living
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and we're always there, we hold a kind of power when we only are the ones that invite people into our homes. That's right. And I think we maybe stunt our own ability to grow and receive and be human, you know? Yes, yes. All right, so beautiful. Um, so talk a little bit about this book that you guys put out a few years ago. it come out in like 2013, Tim? 12, uh, 11? I don't
1: even know. It was about two years ago.
0: Oh yeah. So not even that long. 14. I 14, think. 14. Yeah. I think. So you and Paul and Dwight got together and, and you had been working on this idea about neighborhoods and parishes. And then at some point someone said, let's write a book. Was that you guys? Was it, was it a publisher? And at some point that grew into this beautiful parish collective Talk us through the genealogy of that. How did that come about and how did three guys decide they wanted to give their lives to this?
1: Well, you know, it actually began the really quick version is that about seven or eight years ago, I was planting a church in North downtown Seattle. Paul Sparks was transitioning a church in downtown Tacoma, which is about a city of about 40 miles South of Seattle. And we, When we met each other, it was just like, you know, brother from another mother, like where have you been in my life? Yeah. Uh, In in large part because we were both, me starting something, him trying to transition, we were like, we didn't know who else to talk to about trying to reclaim this idea of parish or or, um, wanting to be some kind of spiritual leadership or pastoral leadership for the neighborhood as a whole, not just our congregation. Um, we didn't know where else to turn. So that was really mm-hmm. the nucleus of the parish collective. It's just, and then more and more and more people started, uh, my friend Ben uh, here in Seattle and others, we started saying, we think that we should do this. Yeah. Soon after that, Dwight Friesen, who's the a, a practical theology professor here at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. He, who I had had as a professor and he'd been friends with Paul, he invited Paul and I to teach basically an intensive with him some summer. Hmm. And uh, we're like, that'd be super fun. But what if instead of teaching what we've learned in the classroom, what if we take the students out into neighborhoods and learn from the practitioners that are there all over Seattle? And, Then that turned into, that became in in some part the nucleus for the InHabit conference, where we were just like, we kept meeting, Paul and I especially, people all over the place who were doing this, or wanting to do it, or really frustrated with their kind of current realities, and it just felt like some language was emerging that felt really hopeful. And so a couple of years of doing InHabit, uh, we started to talk about maybe we should try and collect some of the wisdom we feel like we've experienced from our own experience and from a lot of other people. put it into a book
0: beautiful so tell me a story or two about what you've seen in uh neighborhoods where groups of people decide that they're gonna live in it they're gonna um they're gonna uh, focus their time on the people within that neighborhood um yeah tell some stories about what you've seen sort of the beauty sort of the hard stuff and um and what hope you have for that
1: sure well the beauty and the heart usually go they're kind of (laughs) yeah right next door to each other yeah um there are so many i mean the big a big shift that we've seen happen is that when groups of people the groups of people that are wanting to follow jesus join in what god is doing really right out ahead of them uh it shapes an entirely different imaginer- imagination for what it might mean to be the church. Yeah. All of a sudden, um, instead of us trying to create something for people to come to that's a little bit maybe separate from their everyday life, now we're, we're on the playing field whether we like it or not. And so that's where kind of the beauty of the pain comes is that our collective life together is both the, the greatest witness to God's life within us and it's the greatest challenge yeah you know when we're trying to join in what God is already doing in our, our actual places it it becomes this really interesting dare more so than a methodology or a, a certainly a technique and so the stories are kind of endless I mean just north of here Ben Kot, who's who led a great church called a uh, Awake Church yeah they were along the Aurora Corridor which is uh, known for plenty of things but a lot of the what basically functions as affordable housing are old motels where there are besides normal families living in them there's addiction and prostitution etc and so that community was like how do we how do we respond to what God is doing here so they created a common space called the oral Commons and tried to create kind of a living room environment and that was totally dependent both on the context and on the thought of like, what is God calling us into? What is God's dream for this place? How do we live into that together? Um, and, and we've just seen that happen. I mean, Paul and I, Paul's really taken the lead on this. We've probably been now in about 500 neighborhoods. Wow. Around North America and a bit in the UK. And he just got back from Australia. And it's, and we're just, I mean, what what seems like is happening is more and more People. This is kind of borrowing a, a phrase from a guy named Alan Roxborough who's been a friend and, and mentor to me in this. That people are asking more and more God questions mm-hmm. rather than church questions. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out basically what what is God calling us to? What is God up to? What is God's dream? And from answering those questions with their actual lives, they're pioneering new ways of being in the church. Yeah. Which is maybe a little bit different than starting with church questions. Right, And then trying to figure out how God fits in. That maybe sound a bit pejorative, but it's how most of us were trained.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so talk about the difference between asking the question, what is God doing in this neighborhood versus, hey, we're going to move to this neighborhood and we have, I mean, I'm okay. Now I'm being pejorative, but there, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's the danger that a group of idealistic people might Assume they know what a neighborhood needs, and so they're going to move in, and all of a sudden it's power over, and it's we have the ideas and the answers, versus a spirit of what I hear from you, curiosity, imagination, really depending on seeing what God is doing, and uh, I really spending time to see what the needs are. Can you parse out that difference, you know, because there is a danger.
1: Oh, there's a huge danger. There's a huge danger. I actually think it's it's easier to say than it is to do. If yeah, for we are sure. truly dependent with our being and our collective identity of needing the spirit to be at work hmm. and joining that, or it doesn't work, like we're sunk, we're in trouble. If, and that takes a lot of, that's hard to do. Yep. It's easy to say. Yep. But that ends up like you just said, Steve, creating an entirely different kind of a posture. Now you contrast that by say going to seminary for a couple of years or having some ministry experience, especially if you've been kind of successful in growing a church and saying, we think we know what we're doing and we're going to export our good thinking into this new place. Honestly, it's night and day. Yeah. And the results are night and day not just like i would say one is much more humble and what ends up being frankly more arrogant even if it's unintentional yeah what's also tricky about this is depending on the spirit is complex it's messy um i don't like that this is true but it has been for me we're let down I don't know what you do with that theologically but <laughs> yeah. it's not like
0: we moved our whole family here this was supposed to be successful.
1: This <laughs> sucks right Frankly, it's easier to replicate something that so, it's, similar, it's easier to replicate something that seemed to work somewhere else and get numbers and attention and uh, it'll look like things are working and maybe they are yeah but a ruthless dependence. On God's activity and God's spirit, you, there's no technique for that. No, nope. there isn't. And once we turn our good intentions, and they almost are always good, they're always about justice or yeah. evangelism or discipleship, or you you pick it. Very few people, I think, get into ministry for some just like massive ego stroke. I think we're like compelled by what God could be up to, but
0: mixed with I, the ego stroke.
1: Mixed with the ego, which is all. <laughs> Once we feel like we have a pretty good idea of what's got to go down and that end eclipses what we talk about in the book as faithful presence yeah. or the relational fidelity between God and the other in the context at all times, we get in trouble. I mean, frankly, that's a different way of talking about sin. Yeah, It's whenever we begin to have some kind of an agenda that breaks the relational fidelity. Mm. Uh, frankly, there's, as John Calvin said a long time ago... You do that, you're looking at either pride or shame.
0: Yep. Those are these two pathways. Yep, and I totally agree with that. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And so I'm 45. I planted a church a, church a couple of years ago. I've been a pastor for 21 years. And I, do, I, I have to say that I, I feel like I'm seeing um, young white guys yep. <laughs> move into urban neighborhoods and they've never lived there before because it's sexy. Cause it's the cool thing. I read a book about it. I'm gonna do it, and they honestly they drag your, their wives along, kicking and yes. screaming, and they don't yes. even really discern that together. And if and then three years later, because they haven't done the hard work of really depending on God's Spirit, they've just tried to replicate something they read in a book that someone did. Because they probably were depending on the Spirit, um, and 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 it's a nightmare. And It's a nightmare yes. for their families, and it's a nightmare for the for the neighborhood because now. There's all this um, lost hope or or mistrust, maybe. Um, So that was a little rant, Um, but I said that because I know you guys, the new the new parish and the parish collective, um, has a radically different shape than that which you just described. And so, can you like how do you describe um, the kind of person that you think? Yep this is for you that like you it's feels like you need to start moving into this kind of reality does that make sense Tim
1: yeah do you mean Steve Moore as uh, in some kind of pastoral leadership or just anybody
0: well maybe right now I'm I'd like you to answer both if you would but right now mm-hmm. I think I am talking about pastoral leadership
1: yeah well I am increasingly convinced that if you encounter new challenges and new contexts, it requires different kinds of leadership and different kinds of metaphors for leadership. Yeah. And so I am frankly more convinced than ever, as best I can be, that we need new ways of thinking about leadership. Mm. And I think that if people will kind of swallow that pill of being dependent on the spirit, then the task is far more to keep listening to the narratives that God seems to be telling us in the neighborhood? Mm-hmm. What are the stories of the of the different people that are part of the church? And then what is the story of what's happening in that place itself? Weaving those three things together, I think, is a huge part of what it means to lead today. And I also think that that requires then the pastoral leader to show up as a mm-hmm. character within that story. It's not just kind of giving wisdom or teaching from on high. You're in the thick of it too. Yeah. And what's actually more new than ever, honestly, Paul and I were just talking about this yesterday. It seems to me that, I mean, we want everyone who's a follower of Jesus to be joy in God's work. We want everyone to be trying to wrestle through what is God's dream for this place and what am I being called into? But I would say the the pastoral task today, as I see it, or maybe the new challenge, is saying how do these people in this place... How do they fit together as a team?
0: Whoa, I love that. I
1: think that is a big challenge, and um, that uh, going back, I mean, we most of us haven't been exactly trained to do that. Right. So I think there's some, there's a little bit of retooling, a little bit of reformation that might be necessary for that. And then I get for the everyday person, um, you know, you you know this as well or probably better than I do, Steve. I mean, the word church is so up in the air. Maybe it always has been and every every kind of generation things like, oh man, there's such (laughs) a massive change. I can't believe this. But it does seem like if you ask 20 people what the church is, you get like 45
0: answers. Yeah, for sure.
1: So I feel like we're living, I find it to be actually very hopeful because there's like So many things have been deconstructed. So many things are up in the air. People are asking such new questions about what does it even mean to be the church that we're living in a really fertile, abundant time to imagine what what is God calling the church into in this day, in this age, in our particular places. And uh, I think that's not just a pastoral task. I think just everyday everyday Christians are asking that question. They're asking, why are we even going to a gathering? How does my work connect to this? Um, As I maybe process things different theologically from what I grew up with, how does that change? I mean, so much of the work that you've done through this podcast, I I feel like are pushing at all these different ideas. And part of why it's resonating is these questions are being Mm -hmm. asked over and over and over again.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with you big time. And I, I, yeah, it's probably every generation's, you know, privilege and <laughs> downfall to think that they're going to be the ones to reimagine everything. Although it, it. it, Yeah. And I'm just proving the point. It does feel like there is a seismic shift right now, though, and I, mean, I, I would say it. I mean, um, uh, and so, OK, let me ask you the question that. But give me your organic, messy it's still on the lab definition of what the church is. Just because I'm so curious,
1: I would say the church are those who are following Jesus and seeking the Spirit's holistic renewal mm-hmm.
0: in a particular place. Whoa! Say that again, Tim. That was that was that was gorgeous. If I can, <laughs> <laughs> The church is. Uh,
1: I guess we recorded it, so that's good. Yeah. The church is the people of God or the followers of Jesus who are seeking an independence on the spirit for God's holistic renewal of particular
0: places. Yes.
1: Actually, and I'll probably give an addendum, and are then linking from place to
0: place. Are linking from place to place.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say the church is those people in that neighborhood, you know, kind of small letter C, capital C is all of those people linking from place to place to place all around the world
0: i love that i really love that i love people following jesus i love dependent on the spirit and i love trying to, to discern determine what god is doing in, in in their place i mean all of the scriptures right we read jesus of nazareth paul of tarsus we we, we have a name yeah. of you know steve of minneapolis uh tim of seattle and um but to but to to root ourselves down and in that place um assuming as you've said that god is already at work there we don't create that we join god's work um and and that's what the church is i like that and so i think jumping on what you said about church leaders then the church leaders' role—I loved your phrase—seems to be to try to figure out what what that what the team should be doing, and everybody can play, right? Everybody can play. Yes, um, kids. We need everybody. That's yep. right. Yep, people who are elderly. Um, everybody plays. Um, you know, uh, I think we mentioned this in the book, but
1: when in a lot of like leadership circles, we talk about influence and know, who's following who and all that. I think one way to turn that question on its head is who is worth following. Mm, yeah. And in the neighborhood, whether people are following Jesus or not, there are people whom we need to learn how to follow. You go yeah. back to the same kind of, when we were kind of ranting about how it's it's maybe increasingly common for folks to uproot themselves, land into kind of a sexy yep. urban neighborhood to, to do their thing. I guarantee you in all those neighborhoods, there are grandmothers yes. who have been living there their entire lives whom we need to learn from. Not like you check it off as like on the list. It's right. no, she has something you must know. Yeah, And you're in trouble if you don't. Yeah. That's the kind of leadership, but that's not necessarily the kind of leadership that we, you know, put on big stages and pour lights on. Um, it has, it's much more ordinary. It takes a lot more time, Yeah, but a life of faithful presence in the, over the long haul. I mean, that that's the kind of life I want to be following.
0: Yeah, me too, man. And it is messy um, and it is hard and it requires all kinds of constant questioning about, what am I focused on? What is my program? You know, it's like, like how, how do I flourish? What is flourishing look like? Um, what is too much? What is me trying to be the hero? What is me learning to really learn from the grandmas? Um, and I think it's just getting in there and doing something right. I mean, yep, so and. like, yep. <laughs> um, versus endlessly introspecting about how am I doing in the world and you know, what is my role and, and, um, yeah, I love that. Um, so uh, it seemed so when Mary and I were uh, maybe 30, we lived, we didn't have kids yet, but we lived about a mile from uh, this couple. And we just found ourselves going over to their house a lot. Uh, if there was a room to be painted in their house, we'd be over there. Now, granted, we didn't have kids, but. Um, proximity seemed to really enhance what we're talking about. Um, and so talk about um, sort of the, the reality of proximity and the reality of distance as it relates to people being on the same team together in a place.
1: Well, one of the big challenges that faces us living in what's probably the most individualistic culture of all time yeah is that we think oftentimes that if we are kind of a either a good christian or a superstar christian that's what's going to make the difference there's kind of a personal hero narrative to a lot of our thinking yeah. about the christian faith but if you look at how pe- how people change. Of course, it's always in relationships. Mm-hmm. And for this reason, I would say that what the gift of proximity is that you get to belong. You get to say, look at those people. I mean, one one going back to the church question, I would love it. I mean, I think a, a massive sign of, for me, success would be if people in the neighborhood could point to those people in the neighborhood, they're the church. And they probably wouldn't say the church. It's like they're yeah. the Christians or they're the religious people. <clears throat> yeah. But there's a sense of an us-ness. There's a we-ness that, that can be seen, not just on a Sunday gathering or a Wednesday night, but there's a sense of like, you know, this is who they are. This is who we are. And I feel like that's what that's what's, people are crying out for, mm-hmm. in large part because of, individualistic our cultures are is uh, where do I belong? And frankly, while all kinds of really incredible belonging can happen across places. And we've seen that happen. There's just nothing like every day rubbing into each other, yeah. being able to pop in uninterrupted. Um, it's it's actual life. It's not, you know, scheduled completely to a hilt. Um, I think proximity give that gift where we can actually be together and hopefully not always be quote on. This is just our actual life. This yeah. Is, this is, this is integrated. Yeah. That which is I think probably an important word for how fragmented a lot of us feel. Yeah. Living somewhere, working somewhere, yeah. playing somewhere else, yeah. trying to stay in touch with say our, our parents and our in-laws and our, you know, our grandkids or, um, we do there are massive forces at play mm. that are pulling us apart from a life of a common life
0: yeah
1: and so I mean I proximity I think is is a massive gift and I would say that's what it is it's, it's a gift more so than a um, if you're not living in proximity with someone you're like in trouble or something it's hard right, it's, right. it can be hard to maintain but what a massive gift yeah and I mean if you look at how people change I mean, Well, we actually, I can't remember if we use this. this, uh, I don't remember if this made it in the book or not, but if you just, you know, we're coming up to an election season. I won't go political. Don't worry. But (laughs) uh, but, I guess we could. We could. um, I live in Seattle, which is a very progressive town. There's like 14 Republicans probably in the city. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. It's very unlikely for your general Seattleite to change his or her mind, to vote in a different way than they're assuming right now, right? Yeah. What sociological research would tell us is that the only way that someone would really probably change their mind to say, for example, vote on the other side of the aisle is if over 50% of their friends were, if for Seattle's case, Republican. And say Dallas is, it might be a Democrat. It has nothing to do with left or right. It has to do with, group realities Yeah. now I think that's an important insight for us as a church especially as we're trying to welcome people to follow the life of God because unless there can be a church that is in many ways seen in everyday life again mm-hmm. going back to those people Yeah. Our, many of our discipleship challenges I think are um, they're going to be stunted because they're so focused on individuals
0: yeah versus communities and versus the yeah that's so good man Um, all right, Tim, last question. I mean, it was like, this is just flying by our little conversation here, but let's say someone, a couple or a group of roommates are listening to this and their, their mind is, is like popping. Their heart is soaring. They live in a neighborhood and they want to inhabit the neighborhood with love, with humility uh in the way of Jesus uh, but they don't they don't I mean they' they don't know what to do they don't know where to start do you have any thoughts on for these for these folks and where to start?
1: the place I would have them start is to ideally if they' if this is not a single individual I would say if there are any other friends in the neighborhood who are following Jesus they already know to just, ask the question, what might God be up to? And how how might we, in a normal, sustainable, almost experimental way, begin to live our our way into what we discern God is calling us Mm -hmm. into? A couple of people. If if it's just one person who's just, I, I love my neighborhood, I love God, I don't know where else to turn, Obviously, there's a fervency of prayer. Of who is one or two other people who we could just ask, "Hey, I mean, this is maybe not the first question, especially if you don't know each other, but you know, how might we follow Jesus together here? Yeah, uh, what might that look like? Um, it might mean prayer. It might be meeting together weekly. It might mean who knows? It might be just be saying, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna listen together. We're gonna show up at our neighborhood." Um, community group or we're gonna we're gonna inhabit this cafe together intentionally or we're we're gonna figure out how to listen together. I mean that's frankly all of ministry begins with listening. Mm. Listening to God, listening to one another. And so if there is no one else to listen with, I, I think that should be the prayer okay. and a fervent one. I mean more practically, that's in many ways why we started the Parish Collective, is yeah. because we are convinced That there, these people. I mean, there is an invisible, becoming more and more visible movement of people who, if you say, "I love God, I love my neighborhood, I'm totally open to collaborating with God's renewal." I mean, there. I I tend to think there's actually like a veritable megachurch in every single neighborhood that's not yet connected.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: Certainly Minneapolis. I mean, Seattle is is co. You know, like quote, "post-Christian city." There is probably a church of five hundred to a thousand people, sincere followers of Christ, in just about every neighborhood of Seattle. It's just they have no idea that one another is there. Yeah. So, wow. if the parish collective be of help, you can sign on there and um, see if anyone's nearby. Uh, there's a little map, and we're all trying to kind of tweak it and figure out how do we get people together and just get yeah. to go on this journey together.
0: Yeah, oh, I love it. All right, Tim, on the show notes, I'm going to, I'm going to put the Parish Collective website. So uh, if any of you are listening and you're like, man, I want to find out if anyone is near us, if if people are thinking this way, Parish Collective, you can go on the site and sort of even click on, right? You can click on sort of your geographical location and you can get connected. I mean, you have to do some work, gang. You got to reach out and, and, um, And if, but, but if you click on it and you're like, man, no one is, no one is with, no one's in my neighborhood, Uh, then I hear Tim saying, pray, pray that God would bring you, that God would help you connect with some other followers of Jesus who want to see God's renewal in your neighborhood uh, as it Mm -hmm. is in heaven, and um, and the inhabit conference, I can't remember, has that already happened for this year? Well, yeah, it
1: happened last April. Right we will be having it uh, again uh, April 28th and 29th in Seattle so that's cool. that's way out in 2017
0: People are dreamers people are planning you know people got to save yep. up so I'll, put it I'll calendar. Yep. Right. I will put that on there as well I'll put a link to the book the new parish anything else uh, that would be helpful Tim for me to just help people connect with the great work that you guys are doing
1: I think that's great. I mean, there's, you know, there's Facebook and Twitter and that kind of thing. And and, uh, if people want to get a hold of me, they can uh, through those, those mediums. That's just kind of parting words, though. I would say if people are, uh, this is important to say in these conversations, I think, Steve. Yep. And that is that what we've been talking about here, it's gift. Yeah. It's not. It's not necessarily a new, we, we pray fervently, this is not some new hip thing. It's God is active and we get to receive this as gift. So if people are kind of wringing their hands saying, I want this, but I have no idea how to go about this. yeah, It's still going to be a gift. If people feel like they're mm. flying high because they feel like they're totally in tune with the spirit and amazing things are happening,
0: gift. gift. Yeah. I love that, man. And that's good because I think there might be other listeners that go, Oh, they're wringing their hands going, I, I'm not a part. I don't know. I live in the suburbs. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know what to do with this. Okay. Well, just, you know, like relax a little bit, right? Relax. Gift and look for what God is doing in your world, in your neighborhood, in your life, in your circle, in your family, in your marriage, right? Yes. Um, in your house that you live. So, um, I love that. I love gift i love well we end the podcast every every time tim by just saying again it's just we're trying to reclaim what's um what is holy about our humanity so about the messy gritty part of our lives and so we have this little thing that we say this little mantra to help us remember we're in it together we're human and we're holy we're dust and we're breath we're limited and we're limitless and we're in it together so thanks, Tim. Thanks so much. Uh, it's been fun. You know, we've you you were you've been so kind to me um, when I reached out and said, "Oh, would you read my book?" I mean, so anyway, you you just have been so kind um, and doing this Love it. Uh, so kind. So thank you very much. Look forward to meeting face to face someday. Please and um, grace and peace, my friend.
1: Grace and peace, Steve.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah.